In this episode of Upward Calling, we talk about my recent trip to the Philippines. Welcome to Upward Calling. We help Christians develop a relationship with God by talking with the University Church of Christ evangelist Josh Creel and Dr. Kenny Embry. Listen as we take a deeper dive on a lesson from a recent Sunday service and help you apply it Monday through Saturday. How you doing, Josh? Kenny, you're back. I'm doing great, man, because you're back. I am back. I tell you what, it, it took four plane plane flights and at a very uncomfortable night in a Minneapolis airport. But yes, oh, I'm I hate back. your life already. <laughs> uh, this this time, I was not here for the sermon, and you did preach this. I didn't preach time. it. That's right. It was the best <laughs> sermon ever, probably. <laughs> So one of the things we had talked about is is just just uh, talking about my my experiences over in the Philippines, and yeah. you'd be the one asking the questions. That's right. So we them. we are we are doing a uh, reversing uh, roles. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. What's those? Like, I can't even think of the stupid movies where the parent and child Freaky Friday. There yeah. we go. That, so this it, is man. we're recording on a Thursday. So make <laughs> of that what you will. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to be asking Kenny the questions this time around, and we want to we want to hear some things about his trip, and then Lord willing. Um, uh, sometime in the relatively near future, he'll be able to speak more about this uh, at a, sure. one of our assemblies at university. But again, for those who don't know, uh, Kenny just returned from more or less a two-week trip uh, yeah. to help share the gospel in the Philippines. And so, Kenny, first question is just kind of tell us your impressions of the country. You've done some travel. Uh, my my understanding is most of your foreign travel before has been in Europe. Um, I may be wrong about that. Oh, I, I've done a little bit of travel in South America, okay, Australia, okay. and and but but most of my foreign travel has been Europe, and I've never been to Asia. This is the first time I've been in Asia. Um, I it was it was very different. Uh, you read about poverty, but I have never seen poverty at this level and and, and this close. Uh, the the houses that I saw were largely made of corrugated steel. And there were many, many that, that were made out of uh, bamboo, uh, basically woven bamboo. But there were also a, a fair num- number of houses that were cinder block, and they were unpainted cinder block. It, it, was, a, it was a very stark picture once I got there. So yes, there was extreme poverty. But by the same token, I have never come across a more generous people. They were extremely generous people. Give us a give us an idea. I mean, what's kind of the standard kind of meal you'd be served there? Well, I'm a low carber. I, I don't eat carbs, and and so what I had there was uh, rice with a side of rice, and then they had rice noodles, and then uh, one of the things that they they liked a lot was spaghetti with hot dogs. Again, <laughs> every time and. I am somebody who just drinks water. I, I don't drink any any other beverage. And they were stunned that I would not drink Coca-Cola or Sprite. To them, water was common and was not fit for somebody who was who was a guest. You develop a report wherever you go. Right. And so, and so one, one of the things that I would do is the, the people, the first people that, that, that uh, hosted me, uh, that, that were traveling with me, they... I would say, oh, my goodness, you're bringing me the devil drink. Don't bring me the devil drink. 
and and they they just got a kick out of that. They just got a kick out of the American who who kept on turning down their Coca Cola. It was it was such a such a different experience. Uh, I can't. What was your original question? I want to make sure that I answered. No, just I had asked about the well. The first original question oh, just meal. tells yeah. your impressions of the country, and then you were talking about how they gen- were generous in feeding you, and so just add a little color to it. Just was asking about kind of what a typical meal might be. Yeah, I mean the typical meal. I, I got they had a lot of shrimp. They had fried chicken everywhere. Uh, they they had, but but it was. Uh, <laughs> It was it was like going to you know in the United States when we have a potluck you know they're gonna you're gonna see like five or six casseroles and 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 uh, you know a dozen different ways to to use cream of mushroom soup or cream of chicken soup and for them it was different things that they could do with noodles and rice yeah. and it was some combination of it and and you always saw a variation on the same thing um, but again. They were lavish in their generosity. So I, that, that to me was very impressive. Well, tell us, what were your goals for the trip? Uh, you know, what, what, what were you going over there to do? Uh, and, and do you feel like you accomplished those goals? The guy who invited me to do this was Mark McCurry. And he's, a, he's a, an old friend of mine. He's, he's one of the evangelists up at Douglas Hills. And Mark wanted to, to go over there. Because Douglas Hills and Larry Coffey support a lot of preachers in that area. Mark wanted to be able to put faces to names and also learn stories and things like that. And he wanted, what the people there asked for were lessons of encouragement. The the goal there was, was was to encourage the brothers that were there. And it was a, it was a, it was an arduous schedule. From Douglas Hills, they were interested in getting more congregations with elders. And so the schedule that we ended up having, um, there were three guys, I being one of them, that preached lessons. They scheduled us 45 minutes apiece to, to preach lessons. Mark would preach, I would preach, and then the third guy, Wyatt Taylor, would preach. And after all of that, they would do a 30 to 50 minutes Bible class. And the Bible class was always the same, which was, what does it mean to have elders? Why do you want them? What are the qualifications of them? And how do, how do elders lead? By the end of the time, all of us could have taught the class, but it was always Mark's class. We would do that twice a day. So it turned out to be, we would travel to the place where we were going to go, take us 30, 30 minutes to an hour to get there. We would do basically our four hours worth of material. There were always uh, baptisms. Every single place we went to, uh, we had baptisms. I think the lowest number was three, and the highest number, I, I want to say, was 17. And then we go to the next place, and we do it again. And, and then we would go back to the hotel, and that's what we did every single day. It was, it turned into basically about nine to 12 hour days, depending on our travel schedule. And you were also doing some radio work as well, correct? The first, the first two days we did radio work and they had planned for us to do radio work. They have two radio programs. These are radio programs that are uh, heard all throughout the island. And uh, we were just on one island. It's an island called Palawan, or it looks like Palawan to us. It's Palawan. And uh, I was corrected a few times when I said that. Uh, 
the island itself is about 275 miles long and about 25 miles wide. It has about a million residents on it, just shy. We were doing a lot of travel up and down on that. And these radio programs, they have two of them, are basically heard throughout the island. So for them, it's a very easy way to spread a message far and wide. It was my it was my opinion before I went. I don't know why you do this. I'm not a fan of radio because I I believe podcasting is more is more uh, flexible. But one of the things that I learned while I was there was you had tried to get cellular signal along the island, and it was really hit or miss. And then when you get to the hotel, they would have what they call rolling brown brownouts. In other words, you just lose electricity. You'd lose it for usually 10, 15 minutes, but then it would come right back. But this is not a place that has a, a, a real strong subsystem of electricity, nor a very connected internet. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did do the, I did two, two sessions, the radio station, uh, Mark did a 30 minute sermon. And then it was basically me and Wyatt. Although I know you're going to find this difficult to believe. I was the one who did most of the talking in the question and answer sessions. Just some really great questions. You could tell these were people that were interested in the gospel. So given that one of the the purposes was to to, to do some teaching about an eldership, uh, did any of this congregation have elders? Very few did. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that, let me me give you a little bit broader view because I think things will come in sharper detail. These are congregations without parking lots. The, the way people got to the congregation is they walked. And so there are well over 100 congregations in, in Palawan. Um, but that said, none of, none of them are, are very big. As a matter of fact, about two-thirds of the time, it was a structure that was on somebody's property. And right next door was the house. I mean, it, the house would be 10, 15 feet away from, from the church building. And they'd have their outhouse and, and all of this. But it was very much on the property of somebody who owned that house right there. These congregations were all very small. And when you got to the point where the, the, the congregates could not meet at that one because it was too far to walk, they just started a new one. There, there were, we were always going to these very small congregations. Um, now, remind me again, what was the question line? I want to make sure that I answer it. Well, um, were, did any of the congregations have elders already? Several did. The vast majority did not. If it was a congregation that, that had had like upward of 50 or 60 people, they probably did. But we went to a lot of congregations where you could see that this was probably 30, 40 people. And those congregations did not. And it, it almost became a, a function of size. You you commented about every place you went there there were baptisms. Um, yes, and, and clearly there is a uh, a willingness, not by everybody certainly, but there's a willingness among the population to to give the gospel a hearing. Yes, what factors do you think uh, contribute to the success of the gospel in places like the Philippines, and then? What would you say are the obstacles to the gospel in places like the Philippines? One of the things that that I kind of got a sense of was we were kind of a dog and pony show. 
It was the Americans come to town, and these are congregations that had no visitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States, we are, especially in Tampa, we're used to tourists coming to town or uh, people coming down for the lectures, and we will pe- see people that we have not seen in years or something like that, and we're glad to see them, but we also know that they're not going to stick around. Uh, that's not the way it is in, in the Philippines. Again, these are congregations where you're walking to church, and you always see the same people all the time. And so we knew that it was unusual because, again, th- there is a lot of love for the United States there. Uh, the, they they know LeBron James better than I know LeBron James. They, they follow the NBA. They follow uh, um, MLB. They do not follow American football. But they have a lot of awareness of, that kind of stuff. Uh, but we un- I understood very well that, that some of them were doing it because they were going to have some extra visitors. And some of those extra visitors were probably family. And so they wanted their family and the Americans to see their conversion, to see their baptism. And so it was an opportunity to, for other people to, to witness that would probably not witness, witness it otherwise. Um, I don't think, let me, I'm decent at preaching, I, I know that, but I, I do not think for a moment that the words that I or the other two guys said were, the, were the, the linchpin to get somebody baptized. As the week started, we were all kind of skeptical, what's going on here? But as the week progressed, we started recognizing, oh, that's your son. Yes, and we have been talking with him for a long time. Really? And then I, I, I met one of the guys that was there. He's, his name is Jason. He's, a, he's a, a young evangelist. And one of his sons, he's got four children, one of his sons also got baptized. And again, he was very emotional. Were we the ones that taught him the gospel? No. He learned it from his dad. He learned it from his family. He learned it from his church. As a matter of fact, he did not get baptized in the church where he, uh, where he attends. But he was there with his family mm-hmm. and with a bunch of friends of his. And this was the opportunity that he took. You just started to get, by the end of the time we were there, you were kind of pulling for some people to, to become baptized because we became more and more intimately aware of more of their stories. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, tell me, um, Uh you've been there, you've met a lot of these brethren. Uh Um, now you're back here at university. What can we do to, to be of any help to our brethren in the Philippines? And even if that's only praying, what are the things that we should be praying for? I listened to your sermon on on partnership, and I think partnership is precisely the right word. I think one of the things that our, our knee-jerk reaction is, send more money. And certainly, I think that money will go a long way with a lot of those people. That said, nobody asked for money. Not a single person with the exception of one man. And that man is an evangelist. I won't call him by name, but he has been begging me for money for months now. 
and he he knows this he knows how to spin a good yarn he was asking me for money there and when i saw him for the first time uh most of these people are not dressed well and he came in his air jordans uh most of these people do not have much you could tell he was doing pretty well and so one of the things that i i started realizing was he has learned how to ask for money that's one of the things that i i kind of turned me off that said on my other podcast i've talked to alan malone you know alan and alan is somebody who's who has traveled a lot of different places uh but he kind of has fallen in love with vietnam and one of the things that that i saw money will solve some problems but will probably also create problems as well and you you think about this for a second if you were to give one of your children 2 million dollars how what would that do to the family dynamic i mean that would absolutely change everything what we can do is absolutely pray for these people but one of the things that we could also do and here i am the digital guy these people could use a lot of encouragement and almost all of them are connected on facebook most of them aren't ask, are not asking for money most of them are hungry for some for, for a kind word for a prayer uh for for a relationship and that's something that i really came away with i mean i i i did i, I took some money over there to give away and i did give away some money not much and one of the other things that i would say is and i knew the right guys to give it to because they never asked for it and i had already seen the level of giving they were already doing i knew that the money that i put in their hands was not going to stay in their hands mm. and i trusted them implicitly with it Alan turned me on to this and he talked about the importance of sending messengers to learn people. I I would only amen that and amen that and amen that more because I learned the character of some of those guys and one of the guys that I, and I I'll, I will say his name Jonathan uh Sapatula uh most generous guy I know but one of the things he talked about was his career he started off uh in transportation using an ox to help people move stuff he moved from an ox to what they call a tricycle which is a motorcycle with a with a, an elaborate sidecar that allows you to become basically an in-town taxi he drove a, a tricycle for 10 years he also had a family farm where he raised rice one of the things that he did was he said look and he told me while we were driving somewhere, he said, I no longer do the farm, but Jason, that young evangelist that I was talking about, he said, Jason works that farm for me, eats his fill of rice, and he gives me some percentage of what he's able to sell. But it's Jonathan's, it's Jonathan's farm. He's helping raise that, that guy's family. And I tell you what, that's, that's very, that's very compelling. Yeah. He is extremely generous. I trust Jonathan with my money because I know what he's going to do with it. Because I've seen the kind of man that Jonathan is. 
Um, you know, the, the other thing is he, he bought us water. He drove his SUV. He never asked anything from us. We reimbursed him for everything that he did, but it was near the end. I don't know if he had any expectation that we were going to pay him back. That's the kind of guy Jonathan is. He was willing to go to great expense. He was willing to go to great effort to help us do our work. Again, and you know, the other thing was he was not supported by Douglas Hills or or by or by Larry. This is a guy that was just interested in getting the gospel out there. That's a man that I trust. Yeah. So I mean that's and I, I could tell other stories like that, but I again I, I would say Alan nailed it. You send messengers so you can learn relationships. And that's if we're talking about what can we do, our first impulse is to give money. And one of the things that I would say is if you want to give money, find the correct channels by which to get the right money to the right people. Because it can be a very corrupting influence for some people. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned earlier, you know, given your digital technology uh, kind of passion, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward that maybe you'll be able to connect uh, various, you know, members here, uh, maybe with some some Christians that you you met over there, and and through that means, you know, be able to offer those encouraging words and, and, and establish some of those relationships that will, you know, we here in Tampa can continue to, to encourage our, our brethren and help them grow in the gospel there. Kenny, yeah. I'm really glad you, uh, you agreed to do this. Uh, I know we'll be looking forward to, to hearing more from you um, and seeing pictures and what have you, but um, right. when are you able to present that to the congregation? Yeah, I, I don't know when they're going to have me do it, but I, I'm, I'm I'm also trying to I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say. This was a, fa- a faith changing and a faith building exercise. I am grateful that I was able to go as well. I, I know it's through the generosity of several people that, that that allowed me to do this. There was one person who stepped up immediately and then just said, "Whatever you need, uh, uh, I'll go ahead and cover it." And then somebody else said, "And if you." go over that amount, I'll cover that. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a lot of generosity at, at, at university. I'm very grateful for that. Well, Lord willing, um, this coming Sunday, we kind of get back to uh, a, a little bit of normalcy as far as uh, what we've been doing. Uh, so <laughs> I, I guess that means that the podcast will, to some degree, return that uh, as well. Yes. And one of the things that I would say is, we did the Patrick Brettlinger and Luther Pratt episodes as filler, but I really don't anticipate that we're not going to do that more. No, no, I agree. And I, I think I, the people that I've heard that have listened to those really, really appreciate those interviews too. I appreciated those interviews. And again, you preached about it. I think the idea of partnership, it's one thing to say, to say that, that uh, they need our encouragement. I need their encouragement. Yeah. I, I, I really appreciate who they are and what they're doing. And if we can help them in their work, I'm thrilled to do that. Absolutely. So getting back to normal, we're going to redefine the normal a little bit. <laughs> so I'm hoping at, at, at least once a month to bring one of these guys 
in that we talked to. I, I don't know how that's going to work for the Seychelles, but it will. Ethiopia might be even a, a, a taller task, but but that will happen as well. Uh, well, if we can. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, do you know what you're going to be talking about this Sunday? Well, I, I do. Um, and not, not to give it away completely, but I mean, it is June. It yes. is Pride Month. So okay. let's talk about misplaced pride. <laughs> I love that. There are a couple ways that could have gone. I'm glad you chose well, that one. We, so. we, yeah. <laughs> That's the tease. <laughs> All right, Josh. Well, I certainly look forward to it. So Thanks, we'll talk man. about that next week. Sounds good, brother. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know us a little bit more, you're welcome to watch a live stream service or join us in person at the University Church of Christ in Tampa, Florida. We have all of our information at universitychurchofchrist.org. Until next time, God bless you in your walk with God.